As far as I'm concerned, as long as that same respect and recognition is not shown toward every one of our people in this country, it doesn't exist for me. And during the few moments that we have left, we want to have just an off-the-cuff chat between you and me, us. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. Welcome back to another episode of The Malcolm Effect. You know, as always, I bring you some of the best guests, in my opinion anyway, people who I want to be in conversation with, and I hopefully it becomes a beneficial conversation for many, for all those who are listening. I've got to say, he probably has one of the coolest names out there, Two Black. Welcome to The Malcolm Effect. What's up, man? What's up, what's up, what's up? Thank you so much for coming on. Nah, absolute pleasure and honour. First things first, even before we get into what I want to speak about today, I have to ask, since in the Twitter sphere, everyone's talking about it, what do you make of Christopher Smalls going on to Fox News speaking with Tucker Carlson? I mean, like most things that tend to trend, I don't really care. Yep. <laughs> <I think laughs> straight up. Straight up. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think that that's a relevant question considering, you know, what got me on here in the first place. But my question is did for people who are caught up on that, did anybody watch the interview? And this is just a problem that we mm-hmm. have in general is people reacting to stuff that they did not investigate. They don't really know the context of, but there's this way that people are trained to have these hot takes for no reason. And if you watch the interview, I didn't get to see all of it. He didn't even take the bait on the AOC question, even though it would have been yep. fair. He didn't even take the bait on that. I mean, he stayed on the issues. And I mean, for me, it's like, if you're going to stay on the issues, no matter where you go, if you, as long as you stick to what you're there for, I mean, some things, yeah, I don't think you should appear. I don't think it's really helpful. But in this case, I don't know. I mean, he's talking to workers. Like, you know, he's not an academic. He's not some abstract organizer. You know what I mean? He's talking to workers. They watch Fox News. What you want them to do? Exactly. You know, but other than that, that, I don't care. So, yeah. Not for real. Likewise. I also think the point about people saying, why would you give Tucker Carlson a platform? I'm thinking, huh? In America, in this this America, like one of the biggest <laughs> channels out there, you're talking about giving Tucker Carlson a platform. <laughs> yeah, that's what Someone that, people like, don't have yeah. people don't do the math, man. Like he's on Fox News, he already has a platform. So what, exactly, what the maths about? is not mathing. The maths is not mathing. But going to what I want to speak to you about more, more specifically, and I think I'm going to frame this question, and we're going to, you know, hopefully unpack it and go and see where it takes us. Yeah. But I think the question mm-hmm. many people have is. When we talk about like blackness and racism and, you know, and we're trying to have a material analysis and talk about a class politic and many, I spoke on the show before that anti-racism, as Adolf Reed says many times, the way it's out there in the, you know, in the public sphere is actually a, a middle class, petty bourgeoisie, black politic. Yeah. But the question remains for many people still is when these people who are like black let's say the Jaders, the Will Smiths, and they receive racist abuse, are we not supposed to feel anything for them because they don't align with us materially? That's a good question. And that's something that I've, I've thought through before. And, I, and that's kind of how I try to not completely throw the class away. It's <laughs> thinking about it through that <laughs> lens. But I guess feeling something for them and tying your fight to them are two different things. And I yeah. think that's where we make the mistake. So I can feel for Will Smith in a sense that he's played the good black guy his whole career. He has Mm -hmm. one moment 
And then all of a sudden, well, he's a villain. And he's just mm-hmm. seen as almost this brute in the in the midst of um of someone who's who's went out of their way to to present themselves the opposite. Like one mistake, one moment can turn that turn you into that when it comes to white folks. So I can empathize yep. with that because all of us have experienced that on some level. But at the same time, like I I think I said this in a different interview, like when that happens to him, he still has millions of dollars in the bank account. He still gets to do movies and he can't do the Academy Awards for 10 years. That's the punishment for him versus if I work, let's just use Amazon since that's the topic. If I stand up at Amazon, and I've been the good black guy the whole time. And I'm like, let's unionize. I just don't have a job. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm yep. in the unemployment line. I might be evicted. And my family, if I have a family, depends on that. Like it's still a different circumstance. So yep. Will Smith getting treated well in his in his industry does not trickle down to how Amazon's going to deal with their workers. It doesn't. There's not a direct correlation there. And I think that's where yeah. a lot of the times we make the confusion. So I can feel for them and even draw lessons from what they experience. But I need to be clear that that's not directly related to what I'm dealing with, even if there are some similarities. I think that's a very poignant point, actually. The point of feeling for them versus tying your fight with them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very important point. I guess where people struggle then is, is can do we even be vocal about that then? Because many of the times people will say, who, you know, other black folk will be, then why are you tearing other black people down? Because I do know some black people, for example, mm-hmm. who will say, I'm done with that class completely. Do you think they're wrong? Do you think they're wrong for that? or The people who say they're done with the class? Yeah, completely. So they won't defend or- them. They won't speak about them. They won't even like acknowledge what they go through. It's like, you know, our classes, working classes, and that's who that's who our fight is for. They're, what they got going on over there is their thing. I don't think they're wrong. I think, but it, again, it depends on what you're doing. If you are trying to organize, then mm-hmm. even though people like myself and I'm assuming yourself will make this critique, you still got to recognize that this is the stuff that everyday black people are looking to. Like, this is the, the yeah. talking about the celebrity, the, the, the culture, like... That's still something that everyday black people are caught up on for whatever reasons we can maybe get into. But so you can't you can be like, I'm not going to rest my politic in that class. And I would agree with that. Yeah. But if, you're, if you are in a sense where you're never even going to have even the slightest clue of what's going on, but your goal is to go out in the street and talk to everyday people, you need to have some sense. If anything, True. you need to just know what's going on so you can kind of redirect it into the working class thing. So it depends on what people mean when they say divest from that class. If you mean divest as and I'm not going to tie my politics to it, then I am in complete agreement with that. And I think that's the yeah. right thing. If your thing is to go in a kind of a bubble where you're just not tapped into what everyday people are doing, I mean, that's cool if you want a kind of utopian world. But if you're going to try <laughs> to deal with everyday folks... You got to have some sense. I'm not saying you should watch all the reality shows and you listen to all the bad music. I'm not saying you should do all that, but you got to have some sense of what people are dealing with because it's just, this is what they do. Exactly, exactly. I guess where probably I used to struggle when getting better, and I know many people do as well, is kind of finding the balance and managing, I guess, the tightrope between, okay, not... I mean, you can throw the class away, but still recognizing and empathizing, but also not trying to reproduce the same, like, or feed into the cannibalization of our struggle by celebrities. Mm-hmm. And that's so another thing. I think, yeah. 
Another thing I think when people say they're done with that class, I think to just based on what you just kind of said, it just made me think. I don't know if you met this exactly, but it just made me thinking about how celebrity isn't just about being invested in Will Smith as a person or whatever, you know, celebrity. It's also, it's also a way of relating to each other, right? Mm-hmm. So when we think about people who are in movements, social justice spaces, academia, whatever, are you reproducing that model in your own space? You know, mm. like, I don't just, I don't want radical celebrities either. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't, I don't want, uh, and, and we have that problem, right? Like, but I don't want, you know, scholars who are able to do whatever they want because we just appreciate what they wrote. Like, I don't want that either. So when you say you're divested mm-hmm. from that class, you need to be divested from that kind of formation, not just those people over there, because that's not how it works, right? Like, there's a yeah. reason that we're attracted to that kind of thing. And it's not it's not just because we're solely duped. Like, you know, Stuart all talks about in um centering decentering the popular. I think that's what the piece was called. And he talks about how like the popular, as in the popular culture, how there's a part of it that is definitely coercive and is, you know, brainwashing and kind of in a sense. But then at the same time, there's things that is reflective of our day-to-day struggle that we get drawn into. And it and it has, I think he calls yeah. it like it's kind of a linguistic ventriloquism that mm-hmm. goes on you know wow. through the through the culture so to, i said that to say like there is stuff that that attracts us to these things and we're attracted to these models so just by saying i'm not gonna watch this show or i'm not gonna engage in this part in these kind of like discussions that can turn into a very much like i'm better than everybody kind of thing when i say i don't care yeah. about something i say i don't care because i don't think it actually serves a real function Right. Not because I think not because I don't care because I'm just I'm the smart guy, you know, and I think sometimes that line isn't clarified within people and they end up going one way or the other. So what would you like if you're speaking to the audience now, people listening, Mm -hmm. what are the problems with tying our struggles with the struggle or with with that class? What are potential pitfalls? What's the issues here and why doesn't it work for us? Well, I mean, one, they just don't they just really like on a real basic material level, they're not experiencing things the way we're experiencing them by and large. So like I've had this, not have this argument with people before. I'm just like very simple things. And I said it in one of my pieces, like Brianna Taylor is not Oprah Winfrey. Like Oprah Winfrey will say stuff like I'm Brianna. I am Brianna Taylor because she's a black woman. I'm like, but you live in a neighborhood that is fenced. It's not over policed. Yep. You're never going to have, be involved with the man who, is even accused of being a drug dealer. You know, like you're not going to have to, you're not going to yeah. be in that. You're not dealing with that. You're not in a neighborhood that's being gentrified. So all of a sudden the police presence changes. Like you're not in that neighborhood. You don't have that. You're not, you don't deal with those day-to-day struggles. The only similarities you have is that you are racialized as black and that you are, you know, classified as a woman. Other than that, there's really not much left. Now, maybe in your you know, when you were younger, before you got a billion dollars, maybe you relate to that. But it's just not it's not the same experience. I think I said, um, you know, LeBron James son couldn't be Khalif Browder for people who don't know. Khalif Browder was a 14 years old at the time and was accused of stealing a backpack and was forced to go to an adult prison, Rikers Island in New York, and mm-hmm. was tortured and, you know, put through all kinds of hell for something he never did. And he simply could not afford a lawyer or anything to even pay for the bail. So he was just stuck and he was, you know, and he had to be, and he was, he was, he was abused, brutalized, not only by the people, by the inmates, but by the guards too, you know, and he eventually ends up taking his life because he was so tortured by this as, and his mom dies like, you know, shortly after that. 
that doesn't happen to LeBron James. LeBron James, yeah. if his son, even if somehow if his son did get caught up, which again, his son would not be in an over-policed neighborhood, LeBron James immediately can get all the all the legal representation he would need, as well as all the media is going to talk about it because it's LeBron James and we're going to be invested in yeah. this story and we can galvanize people around this story. That doesn't happen to the day-to-day black person. It just doesn't. So I'm saying like, just on a very material level, there's not really a lot of similarities. And then also because of those differences, there's different interests. So there's an exactly. interest for people in the middle to upper class to, you know, want to be business owners and to try to get to a billion dollars and, you know, to be closer to corporations because they can cash in on that when often, though many of us are just going to be working for those corporations, usually at, at shitty wages, right? Like we're not going to be. Yep. So, so again, the, the, the interests are different. They're trying to stack their money. They're trying to grow their wealth in ways that we're not going to be able to do. And someone has to ultimately do the, the menial work. They're not the ones trying to do that. So the, the interests get mixed up. But when we get kind of tied up in this, like I call it like this universal blackness, and that just kind of flattens blackness mm-hmm. is this universal experience that we all have the same in all different times and spaces. Then those 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 distinctions disappear. And then all of a sudden, LeBron James getting called nigger at a basketball game, you know, is the same thing as whatever I'm experiencing in high school. Right. Like it, it, it becomes the same thing when LeBron James can get on TV and and he has a bunch of media who just want to hear his thoughts. He's got a mm-hmm. bunch of white people who have invested in him. So their money is tied to his success. It's not their yeah. their money's not tied to our success in the same way. There's not billions of dollars invested in us doing well. There's billions of dollars invested in these people. I don't think people think about that. Like, yes, they go out and play, act, whatever. But there's all kinds of white capital invested in their progress, in their success. So there is a sense of trying to even now reconcile, at least on the liberal end, with some of the racism or whatever, because they need those people to thrive. And they also need them. They use those people to bring us in as customers and consumers. But it's not the same experience. It's just not. And I think essentially what you're saying is, to summarize what I put up the other day, I said, not all blackness is the same. No. And and again, the experiences, yes, we have experiences that blacken us, but depending on our class position, those experiences will be vastly and wildly different. And I think for all too often, people don't seem to recognize that distinction or, or differentiation. So I guess my next question is then the, the question that people always ask, why won't black capitalism save us? <laughs> i mean it's still capitalism so i I guess that's that's always like my homeboy terrell is always just says very simply put on on the black miss podcast like black capitalism is still capitalism so if we just we don't even really need to call it any other any other type of capitalism just call it capitalism and if capitalism is capitalism then somebody must be exploited that doesn't change Mm -hmm. just because some black people get to share in some petty you know, some like petty bourgeois level of of the trade. Like somebody's still got to be paid a wage. There's still surplus to be made off of the wage. Like this is really just simple economics. Like someone still has to be exploited somewhere down the line. Something has to be done for cheap so it can be sold high. All black people can't have businesses, logically speaking, because somebody has to buy, you know, somebody has to buy this stuff and somebody has to work there. So everybody can't be a business owner. Somebody has to be a worker. And I, I've, I always say with, with black capitalism, like, even if I was to entertain it, can y'all at least talk about what you want to do for workers? Because I rarely even hear that. <laughs> can y'all at least talk <laughs> about a wage? Though. Say what? 
<laughs> for real though, for real. You never hear yeah, it. like it's always about I want to be a boss in a five a.m. club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like they don't even present like a that. That's just how far behind a lot of them are. Like they don't even present like kind of Keynesian economic model or something. Like okay, we at least want to empower the consumer so they can purchase stuff. Like since this is their bag, yeah. you know, buying power and buying black. Well, people got to have money to buy all this black shit y'all keep talking about. If you're paying them the same that that people make at Walmart, then what's the point? Like, I always say this to people. I'm like, what exactly is the difference in working at Walmart if I'm making the same wage as working for you? Like, what it, what's what's the benefit? I just get to see myself as, as I get to see. I get to see my boss is, a, is an exploiter like they would be at Walmart or something. Like, what's the difference? You know, so I'm just saying, like, exactly. if, we, if we accept that capitalism has to exploit someone, then unless they can clarify that, which none of them ever do, then so, then black people are going to still be exploited. We don't like it's still a relationship of how we deal with each other. It doesn't change just because you put a black person in charge of it. Like we've seen this. There's real examples of this. Like this isn't like an abstract thing. We can just look at all the neo-colonial states that exist right now and see how that has not went well. So hundred percent, hundred percent. So the question is, it's a bit controversial. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you buy black? Do I buy black? Yeah. Yeah. I have no problem supporting it, but kind of going back to your original question or one of your first questions about empathizing with even the black bourgeoisie versus like tying my struggle to it. So I don't have a problem like supporting it. Cause like what I also said, like this is still what people, black people are engaged in. So I'll even attend those, some of those events and I don't always feel like I need to antagonize them when I go there, but I don't tie my politics to it, you know, so I ain't got no problem doing it. But I also don't buy black with the idea that it's going to be revolutionary. I might just yeah, exactly. actually like what you're selling and that's the extent of it. Right. Or you're a friend of mine. I want to support you or or, you know, from a more strategic standpoint, I think there is something to be said about from a transitionary from thinking about it in a transitional way, like, OK, Maybe we can build up some capital to support certain programs and maybe black capitalism can help with that. You know, maybe your black business, if you are at least sympathetic to certain politics, if you have enough surplus money, maybe you can help fund a program in the community. I can get with that. But I don't think that ultimately saves us. I think that's just part of that's a way of getting there, like all the other contradictions we have to engage. Right. That's all I see. it as. Yeah, I guess where. I sometimes maybe struggle, and many people do as well. Do you think there's any utility then in... Let's, okay, we're trying to build mass movements. Yeah? Our goal is to build mm. mass movements and to raise mm. class consciousness. That's our goal. Mm. These people who are also black maybe might have expressed some kind of interest in helping black people have platforms. They have reach. They have clout. Yeah. Do you think there's any utility then in getting those people on your side? to speak on these issues if they were like educated or went through like a rigorous training of leftist politics like would there be any utility in that when we say these people we're talking about celebrities or we just talking about yeah. like okay i think there could be some utility like i'm not completely off that bandwagon that there can't be some some help by those people at least uh, speaking on something i mean you know no name is a good example i know she hasn't been yeah. as she hasn't been as vocal here lately, which is fine. But I know she, you know, she kind of went and actually did the research and learned in public and she didn't get everything right, as, as she's noted herself. But I do think she was able to hit people to some information and she was able to actually do some material good with 
getting prisoners books and some of the other things she's been able to do, you know, mm -hmm. with out there in LA. And she was also, you know, help. She also helped bring visibility to some of my own comrades as far as just highlighting their work in spaces that they wow. probably wouldn't have gotten attention of as well. So I think that that can be helpful. Again, I think the problem becomes, and this is the, the, the real issue with, well, not the real issue, but one of the issues with celebrity is the thing movements collapse around that person or collapse around yeah. them. So then we need no name to retweet everything we're doing, right? We need no name to lift up every cause or that kind of like Messiah complex. I'm not accusing everyone of doing that, but I think there are times when like it turns into that versus, you know, no name should just help amplify what's already going on. It should not be about no name and, and getting yes. it into a conversation about her. She should be there to amplify and really be a spokesperson. And I think sometimes when these celebrities do want to do something differently, I don't think they're all like terrible or bad people. I don't, I don't actually take that kind of idealist position. I think some of them mean well. I don't think it necessarily matters, to, you know, if, if they mean well or not just because <laughs> of the, the outcome of stuff. But I'm just saying, like, I think some of them mean well, but they they are told and they conceive it that they kind of need to put everyone on their shoulders because they have, you know, this money or they have this platform or they have this voice. And that's not actually what needs to happen in many cases. We really just need y'all to share the resources and amplify what's what's already going on. Like you think about exactly. a good another example, like back in 2020, and this actually did piss me off a little bit <laughs> when the NBA was in the bubble and the brother in um in Wisconsin, his name is, is slipping my mind right now, just gotten shot. And uh the 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 NBA players, it it was reports after that happened because this is already after this is already after george floyd and everything so for people yes. who don't know they're in this bubble they put black lives matter on the court it's on their jerseys they got all these like words on the back like liberation or education mm -hmm. or on the back of their jerseys and they're really trying to like show they're in support of the movement it was mostly bullshit but it was like a lot of mm -hmm. cosmetic suggestions to get them back on the court and after doing all of that, none of it worked, right? Like somebody still got shot by the police, which goes to our point that these things are not as well connected as people think they are. Because after doing all that symbolism, the police didn't didn't flinch at all to pull the trigger on someone else, right? Exactly. So that, that, that happens. And there's this conversation about are we going to go on strike because until something is done and it looked like that might have happened. And then LeBron, it, LeBron's team leaks this story that, you know, LeBron walked out of this meeting that the NBA players was going to have, and it really looked like there was going to be this strike. And then come to find out, like, after it all was happened, they got on the phone with Obama, him and Chris Paul, and LeBron, and they were like, no, you need to keep your platform. And then LeBron comes out with more than a vote, and it's just about voting. <laughs> so, so, so it became and – then, and then and the reports came out later, LeBron never really was thinking about – it wasn't so much about striking. LeBron was actually mad that the players didn't communicate with him because – and this goes to my point because they he felt like that messed up his more than a vote initiative that he was already going to do anyway. And this was kind of like a deviation from that. Right. So like they had a moment to stand in solidarity with the people. And instead, they chose to lift up their own little projects because their their position would have been threatened <laughs> had they done that. Right. So if yeah. if they're in communication with people on the streets, then some guidance can be given as far as what we need and what we want and we can negotiate from there, but they often are not in communication like that.
Like they're and they're yeah. surrounded by people who keep them away from any kind of communication with people in the street. You know, no, hundred percent, absolutely. I mean, right now, just a bit of a sidetrack. When I'm seeing the state of play in British politics right now, and I'm not sure if you read about it yet, but the UK British government has just said that they're going to be processing asylum seekers in, in Rwanda. Um, yeah, I saw so, that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, for and for those who don't know, there's approximately 35 million refugees across the world and the UK has 0.2% of them only. There's no refugee crisis. The, the right-wing governments in the UK are scapegoating refugees. Right. I say that all to say in relation to what you said is when you read about our revolutionaries like Lenin, Mao, Castro, you know why some people had to get put in the blender. Like, you really understand why. Yeah. I really understand. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm sorry, but... <laughs> I really under before I was a bit like nah nah nah. But when I was uh, making my journey to leftism, I was like nah nah nah. I'm not a violent. I don't really believe in it. But now I truly understand why. So some people just need to get xed off. But um, yeah. hypothetically, anyway. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't. I, I mean, we're on air, so you know, I won't say too much, but I don't disagree. <laughs> so, I mean, you gotta, you gotta. I think CBS said you gotta protect your revolution. So 100%. I don't, you know, yeah. 100%, 100%. I think what also I'll speak about, it's interesting how neoliberal logic cannibalizes revolution. So people like can cosplay by dressing up as revolutionary figures as if that's the politic. Or for example, you know, people will say by any means necessary and they mean by making money by any means necessary, famously quoting mm. Malcolm X. So what do you think the role of like, those who are maybe on the left then? Do we have to like situate our revolutionary figures back into material politics or... What would, you, what would the advice be? Or what would the position be? Well, I think um, I think H. Red Brown, um, that's, that's a former or veteran Black Panther and SNCC member, um, Imam Jamil, also, who was also a political yeah. prisoner to this day. Just want to say that. Yeah. And he he said not maybe not famously, but I think he said I think it makes sense about as far as that quote by any means necessary. He was like, that's not sufficient anymore. We have to define the means by which are necessary. You know, <clears throat> by any means necessary. I, I mean, I obviously I understand what Malcolm was saying, and you know I'm always gonna be down for pretty much anything Malcolm was saying. But yeah. <laughs> there is a opportunity to come along with your kind of interpretation of something that doesn't have to really be consistent with anything, and they just say that this is the thing. And that, and we're really seeing that nowadays, where black liberation is just whatever we want to make it out to be, and there aren't any real exactly. sticking points and obviously that's going to privilege people who have more of a more of a following more of a you know more of a draw and they're not accountable to people who've really like fleshed this stuff out theoretically and who've really experienced this and worked these things out and have a sense of history they don't have to be accountable to that and, it, and again it doesn't matter whether these people will have good or bad intentions it's just how it plays out so they can show up and be like well you know actually i think that you know, black liberation is black capitalism. And, you know, because black community <laughs> spends this much money, you know, and they throw out some stat that, you know, I, I, like Dr. Ball has, has debunked millions of times of buying, you know, myth of black buying power. Like they throw out some stat and, and people don't know any better, you know, and they're just, and a lot of people are just searching for something and they're able to kind of just throw it out there. I think as far as like what black leftists need to do to kind of like push back against that, I mean, again, we were talking about with the celebrity thing as far as like we don't want to duplicate that, you know, that also means you got to tighten ranks sometimes. Like, yes, like I was saying earlier on one side, you do need to be open to kind of working with people and not just like force feeding kind of whatever you're on or whatever. But at the same time, like 
you know, like we got to actually be rigorous ourselves. And I think sometimes we're some of this falls on us. Like I'm not saying it all does, but some co-optation you can't just put on the state or whatever solely. Like some of this falls on us because we don't really clarify stuff. Like I talk to people all the time where I'm just like, they're not really that clear, even though they're saying they're in this kind of politic, they're not really that clear on what they're on. It's like, some of it is just, you gotta, you just gotta tighten up, you know? So it's, so instead of like conceding certain points, like we're all going the same direction, we just have different ways of getting there. And it's like, no, we're not, (laughs) we're not going the same direction. We're actually going like, you're going North. I'm going South. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like we're not going the same direction. It's like, Maybe people don't jive with your program on that because I think sometimes we're we're scared to alienate people. But it's like people need to know that these ideas don't work together. Like these programs are actually like there is a there is a inherent like antagonism that where they can't come together. And just yep. be honest about that. Like so, if you're a socialist, socialism and black capitalism in the long run cannot mix. There can be yep. some interaction on the way there. You know, like I was talking about earlier, as far as like supporting certain types of programs. But in the long run, you will have to pick a side. Like, everyone's gotten to this point now. I feel like they don't want to say that. Like, well, you could try this. No, it's like that's that liberalism shit where we think everything is just an open idea. It's like, no, certain things don't mix. There are laws to things. Things have a certain nature. You can't just throw everything together. So, like, like out here, you'll see these black history flyers, and they'll have a bunch of people on there. And I'll be like, yo, y'all know none of these people agree with each other, right? You know? Oh, like, don't, don't get me started. Yeah. Um, NY, NYPD. I think, um, okay, I might be wrong, but I definitely know it's American police. And behind them, they had Angela Davis, Malcolm, Martin Luther King. And I'm thinking, really? Yeah. yeah, the FBI did that too. And I'm just like, and that, that's just, you know, a slap in the face. <laughs> but like, no, it is. but yeah, they'll have like, that's what I'm saying. A lot of, a lot of stuff, at least I can speak for over here. There's not a lot of clarity on the actual ideas and positions that people had in Black history, like the different struggles that people engaged in. It just gets thrown in. So what we were talking about is kind of flattened, universalized Blackness. And it and you see it show up in those moments where there people don't see the contradictions and stuff. Like, yes. I'm not saying you got to take a line and, and like believe in one thing over the other immediately. You can see what both sides are saying. And there might be some commonality. There's probably certain ideas in capitalism and socialism. There's probably certain ideas that do cross over. But as an overall social system or economic system, they're they don't work together. (laughs) So it's like it just they just go. It just doesn't work, even if there are certain things that do make sense. So it's like but but those things don't get clarified anymore. It's just this universal like celebration of blackness, you know, so. Mm -hmm. So people was like, well, Malcolm X, and they they reduced Malcolm X just to violence or, again, the quote, by any means necessary. Nobody deals with the internationalism and all like all that's thrown out. Right. It's just like he just he was want to fight white people. And and Martin Luther King said, don't fight white people. And that's it. So like when you don't have a real clarification on black history, and that's what I worry about with all this new emergence of everybody trying to talk about it, is it doesn't really like ground us in. The struggles of these people it just turns them into kind of celebrities of the past that's what i'm saying the celebrity thing is much larger than just one moment or one given person it's the way we actually come to understand the world as these like you know ornaments of of history versus like really recognizing like the dialectics they were engaged in that's just completely torn out from it right like and black black people black history 
is almost seen as something that happened on a different timeline from the rest of the world. And none of that helps us understand. So, I mean, again, I, that's a long way to answer your question. I'm just saying, like, we need to clarify. No, those thank things. you. We, yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, total agreement. I think moving on a little bit then. So many of us have been socialized into capitalist logics. Yeah. So, for example, no one's broke. You're just a billionaire in waiting, for example. Speak to me about like, what the reality of black life is like in America. For the, for the masses, obviously. Right, 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 right. I'm just trying to think of the easiest way because we can go a lot of different ways about that. I mean, I got I think the the piece I this piece I just recently wrote, laboring beyond representation. Like I was saying, most black people are workers or are unemployed. The the unemployment rate in in you know black America has always been double white people's unemployment rate. Unemployment mm-hmm. doesn't even track everything. Sorry, drop something. And unemployment doesn't even track everything because. If you haven't applied for a job after, I think, like six months, they don't even track you for unemployment. You're considered what's called jobless, which is a different stat. So you have a lot of black folks who don't even who are just in this like lumping category of folks who don't even apply for jobs anymore. Like if you looked at a resume, there's like probably like three year gaps or something. Right. They're just completely out of the market. Everybody hears about the police probably overall, you know, as far as the police killings. And that's certainly a problem. But police occupation in general is really how you end up with police killers. It's just a logical extension of, of, of one thing to another. So if you have a neighborhood that has been depressed by, like I'm saying, you have a bunch of people who don't have jobs. If they do have jobs, they're usually shitty service jobs. And then you and then you bring in the police to corral all of that because you're not going to invest in these people. Then the police become the only solution from I'm talking about from the logic of the state. And then they bring the police in to occupy. This becomes, you know, labeled as like problem territories and all of that. So then logically from that is going to be people going to get killed by the police. You know, a lot of times it just gets reduced down to like the individual racism of a policeman or, you know, them just hating folks because they're black. And that's part of it. But it, it really just comes down to an overall policy agenda that's like, you know, this is how we're going to corral this population. So even when you don't get killed by the police, you get beat up, you get taken to jail, you get taken to prison, all the things go on your record. And then even when you cycle back into society, your your expectations of um, really achieving anything are going to be much lower. So that's what you're looking at with like the more like the lower working class and like the the lumping or the, you know, the unemployed. And then you have like a black middle Kind of it's still a black working class, but it's like they're a little above that reality. They might not live in those mm-hmm. neighborhoods or if they do, they're, you know, in the better part of those neighborhoods. And they kind of live their existence in some ways off of like we're not those people. Like we don't <laughs> want to be like them. <laughs> and so they might end up going to college or they might end up getting like a kind of a mid mid manager kind of job or whatever. They're not really going to make a lot of money. But they can they at least make enough money to probably like get by from day to day. Like they're not starving in that same sense. But they know all those people who are in prison, who come out of prison. That's their family members, very well connected to them. And then above that, you're going to have the more like top tier executive black folks or celebrities or people of that nature. And they're completely divorced from that, from either one of those realities, really. You know, so and again, this is an oversimplification because I'm I don't I'm not trying to get too into stats and all of that, but uh, though that, but all of those people need the struggle of the people at the bottom to kind of advance their cause, right? 
So yep. the reality of the people who do go to prison, who are arrested, who are killed by the police, who don't have jobs, the reality of those people becomes a face of blackness, right? Even mm. if everyone's not experiencing it. And then like, so we were talking about these anti-racism workshops or, you know, diversity hires. It's the struggle of the people at the bottom that often is what's kind of indirectly financing um, their, wow. their upward mobility. Wow. And then all of this, obviously, I'm not putting this on black people. All of this is obviously like, you know, in the larger sense of the state and just white capital is promoted by them because that's the formation that a lot of us are forced into, whether we like it or not. So, you know, you got people who are dealing with all kinds of different struggles. And even when but the thing about since blackness is seen as that thing in the at the bottom, there is some unification and then some I would even say guilt around the fact that. If you're not at that bottom, you don't want to be seen as that bottom because it's not just that these black people don't the pop some of the people who aren't at that exact bottom are just like stuck up or whatever. Some of them are. But also, like, you really don't want to get identified as that quote unquote type of black person because you don't want to deal with that. You don't want to deal with that kind of brutality, you know, of course. So you have people who go out of the way to show they're not that. And then you have people who go out of the way to show they are that in a given circumstance because they can benefit from it because, again, that's the new economy that's kind of risen up in the last like 10 years is how can I, um, how can I kind of like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, cosplay that to help kind of build my upper mobility. Cause now there's all these programs about, you know, we need people of color. We need, you know, so you use that struggle to kind of advance yourself, even if that's not maybe directly what you're related to, but even if you're not in that bottom, it's still not great because I, as I said, in some of the pieces I've written, even on the black kind of bourgeoisie's premise of how they want to engage the struggle, you're still like at the bottom of your industry, even if you're not like the lowest class of black folks. So you're still like the, you know, last hired, first fired, you know, you're still poorly represented in, you know, these kind of like middle to upper class industries. You know, you still are overlooked. You still have to deal with all these, you know, like they like to complain about microaggressions. You still got to deal with all that. <laughs> you still got to deal with all that while trying to present some kind of successful image, right? Like, so you're still at the bottom, no matter where you go in the class marker, you're still at the bottom in your given industry. And I think that's why sometimes people confuse it as it being universal, because that is something that everybody can relate to is generally speaking, you don't run the industry that you're in. Even if you're not in the bottom class, you still don't run it, right? So even if you work at Chase, more than likely, you gotta kind of like you gotta you still kind of gotta bow down to the white folks in that room. You still gotta play kind of play into that, or you gotta show you're even more brutal than some of them, and as people do that. Uh -oh. too. And we and we all know that stereotype. Yeah. So so yeah, I yeah. wanted to get that instead of just a typical like life is hard. I just want to get people kind of like this is how structurally it kind of plays out. But yeah. No, thank you for that. Thanks for that elaboration as well. I guess probably finally then, I mean, there's a tweet <laughs> that I always, I always read and I always chuckle, but it does make me think. It said, being on the right is so easy. All I have to do is play video games and be racist while being on the left, I've got to read 300 books by Russian niggas, by dead Russian niggas. <laughs> <laughs> the relevance here is, I'm sure there, there is, I, I'm not sure if it's growing, I don't want to like, or uh, amplify it or, you know, over-exaggerate. But there is like an anti-intellectualism I notice. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I do notice that sometimes people can be unnecessarily convoluted in trying to explain ideas. Right. So Both where do you time. think, 
both at the same time. So yeah. where do you think, or what's the job of people listening, activists, leftists, people come up and coming, trying to like get into this, I don't like calling it a field, but trying to, who are concerned with like black liberation in conveying these ideas to people that are complex. Because the thing is, the world is complex. Capitalism is complex. The structures around us are complex. How do you feel we should go about effectively communicating to people, to our people? Well, first, just to that tweet, I wouldn't fully agree with that. I know they were joking, but I think the yeah. right actually is organizing in ways that people don't acknowledge. And that's why they are still relevant, even though they're technically a minority. I'm talking yeah. about in America. I can't speak for other places. I would say other places, too. But the right doesn't just like be, you know, like they, they really be out here like, you know, they organize around churches, right, who are yeah. major influence, in, especially in white spaces, really in America in general. You know, they organize in schools, as you see with the anti-CRT stuff. So, like, they be organizing, and a lot of us don't be reading. <laughs> so, <laughs> there's just that. Your question, as far as how to explain stuff, I mean, it's, it's if, if you're in leftist circles, it sounds like a cliche response, but I just think it works. Like, you got to deal with people's conditions, like material conditions. And I don't mean that in a, I don't mean to abstract material conditions. I'm saying, like, if you can explain something that actually speaks to their day-to-day struggle and if your theory is as good as you say it is then it should be able to do that right like it just should and sometimes you don't have to use the words that are in the book you're reading sometimes you just need to understand what the fuck this person's saying and go explain it you don't have to talk about imperialism and you don't have to use the word imperialism in all cases you don't have to use you know whatever word you want to pull out surplus value or whatever right like you don't have to always talk like that like because surplus value is actually really easy to explain. I was reading this. I was reading. I had to do this uh, presentation last month for uh, it's called the it was about the the League of Revolutionary Black Workers. It was an mm-hmm. organization out of Detroit. They organized workers. And these people were like most of them, all of them were most mm-hmm. of them were like Marxist, Leninist or whatever. And I was looking at this. I had to look through their um, they had newspapers and I was looking through their archives and I was looking at them explaining inflation. And they were and they really made it made sense. They were like, basically, they need to be able to sell stuff at a certain profit. It's not that they can't make the products that you need. They need to be able to sell it at a certain profit. And since they can no longer make that profit, you just can't get those supplies or those supplies become high because they need to absorb that cost, you know, (laughs) that that, so they can make money off of it. There was like there's not an actual issue with supplies or anything like that. There's enough resources for you to get what you want, but because they need to be able to make more they need to be able to make more money than they put in you can't get those things at a decent price very simple yeah. you know but this newspaper was literally for people in the working class some of them who may not even read that well and then i was looking at the detroit free press as a comparison and the way they explained inflation was about like congress and different markets and just real convoluted in a way that nobody would really understand unless they're like an economist or something so I use that example to say, like, in many in many ways, we can do the same thing. Like, what does this ultimately come down to? Like, whatever we're talking about, if we're trying to explain inflation, if we're trying to explain why, you know, there's violence in the community. Like, how do we explain that in a way that make, helps people understand? Like, you can use all that theory to do that. So it's not it doesn't have to be one or the other where theory is so bad because it's just so super convoluted. I don't feel like I need to read. Like, I don't agree with that position either. But I understand the critique sometimes that people make as far as like, if it's going to be all of this extra shit, then what's the point? And it's like, and then everything doesn't need to be, I've said this on LDI once, like everything doesn't need to be 
relatable and and I put relatable in air quotes in the sense of like I'm gonna purposefully dumb it down. Just just talk to yeah. people and you'll realize wherever they are, you don't need to purposefully dumb it down. Like I'm gonna go That's into the good. hood and I'm gonna like you know, I'm going to make the, the nigga version of capital or something like, you know, <laughs> that may not be what they want. You haven't even talked to them. Like you just assume like they don't know anything. So the only way to explain that is I'm going to capital for niggas or something like that kind of like caricaturing and like, you know, that doesn't help. Really? You know, that just yeah. becomes a kind of like a, a, a joke, honestly, or like a, a, yep. a mistral show. Right. <laughs> so I'm saying like, yeah, yeah. so some things you can speak to everyday people about it. Some things do require a certain knowledge base that you can't really make a one-on-one thing. It's just is what it is. And that's okay. Just be like, sometimes it's just not something that I can explain to you. I'll try, but it's something you probably need to have other references for. Like everything can't be reduced to a one-on-one thing. So that's why I say these things are happening at the same time. It can be made like in a way that people can get it to their conditions and then some things do require more study. And and if you're organizing in a certain space, you come to understand what those things are, you know, in the situation that you're in. Like you come to understand, I probably can't talk about this right now. They ain't ready for that. But I can talk about this. Like it's not, it's just something that's easy to, to point out once you're engaged in a struggle. If you're just arguing with people on Twitter, then none of this probably makes any sense because <laughs> you're just... Because you're just arguing with random people. But if you're trying to get a job done, if you're trying to move the ball forward in whatever given situation, those theories become helpful because now it's, it's really helping you understand like what to do in a given moment. It's not just me trying to argue with you that the best way to communism is abolishing the state. And you're like, no, nah, we need to transition. And we're just arguing about it. That's a cool conversation for us to have. But that doesn't really help anyone just randomly on the street. 100%, 100%. No, thank you so much. And on that note, I'm going to wrap up now. But definitely, too Black, I think we could speak for hours and hopefully I can have you on again on the show. You are listening to the Malcolm Effect with Mama Do. Please like, comment, subscribe. I will leave Two Black socials in the episode description so you can like check him out, check out his writing as well and his output on YouTube. Until next time, peace out and take care. <laughs>